Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Kevin Donnelly from True North. There will be a Raptors viewing party in Winnipeg. Tyler Mislachuk, a Winnipeg triathlete. We'll talk to him as he gets ready for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. And Sutton Eves will join us on the podcast from Generation Squeeze. Manitoba home prices unaffordable for the average young person. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. I've got to get a very special guest on right off the hop here. Yesterday, uh, Kyle and I were talking a lot about the Raptors and why in Regina at Mosaic Stadium do they get 13,000 people out for a Raptors viewing party. And yet here in Winnipeg, we had a couple of viewing parties, but small stuff, you know, bars. And I think there was one at the Met, but why not a big one? And so we were talking about that, and I was emailing back and forth yesterday with Kevin Donnelly, a senior VP at True North Sports and Entertainment, and he kept on saying, hang on, hang on, just hang on, Hal. So I kind of suspected maybe we would get some news, and Kevin joins us on the phone now. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Hal, how are you? I am excellent. So there will be a Raptors viewing party in Winnipeg. Yay! Jurassic Park 204. Yes, indeed. Love it. And how do you think it's going to go? Because uh, why didn't we do viewing parties before this in a big way? Well, we, uh, you know, for the Raptors in particular, I think we're slow learners. But, uh, you know, watching what's taken off across the country, I think that, uh, that you know, we, we've done these before. We have a little bit of a history of throwing a street party or two. So yep. uh, it, it, it really took us a moment to, to say, you know, is is the interest really there? Like, is the interest what we feel it, it, that it likely is? And again, we we've all been huddled around the TVs now watching these games. It is something that has taken the country, I think, uh, rightly so. So, um, you know, we just waited for the moment and said, okay, like, really, this is something that we should do. We're thrilled to be able to do it. We reached out to our friends at at the uh, at the Raptors in Toronto, and they gave us their blessing. So we're happy to do it. We we announced that. Uh, we're going to do game six. If there is a game seven, we'll we'll, we'll do that one too. And uh, we're using it as an opportunity for people to bring a tin for the bin. So we're going to help out Winnipeg Harvest as well. You know, that's the best part of this. And you and I have talked about this before. When we can do a big party like this and help a great cause, I mean, there's nothing better. Yeah, no, it really it resonates with Winnipeggers. We saw that when we when we uh, attached United Way to the street parties. People do respond to it. So, uh Admission is free. Admission is free. You do not need a ticket, Hal. We've been a little sort of on and off with that with our street parties, but there is no ticket required, no admission. Come on down. Doors open at 7 on Thursday night. The tip-off is 8 o'clock. Do bring a tin to get in because uh, there are people that are less fortunate that could use a bit of a, a, a leg up. So, uh, you know, that's the story. It's going to be amazing. I think that the country is on fire for this and uh, should be really a fun setting. You've done this for a long time, Kevin. Is Winnipeg, Manitoba a big basketball community or, or not really? Certainly at the high school and university level it is. Yeah, absolutely. There's great talent. There's great support. There's over, I think it's 10,000 people play 
play basketball regularly. And, and again, we've got the Canada versus Nigeria game later on in August. So uh, the basketball community is definitely active and it is pervasive. I mean, there's men's league, there's, there's uh, kids starting up in summer camps that are engaging soon. So, uh, and basketball, of course, was invented in Canada. So I think that Winnipeggers love basketball, Canadians love basketball, and we all love the Raptors now. Well, and I'm glad that I had Cam Poitras, uh, the host of Sports Sunday here on CJOB, send you that email yesterday. I got it going. Well, I think it really is your fault. or You know, you guys to, to be credited for kicking us in the rear to make this happen. So thanks for the email. Thanks for the reach out. And we're really thrilled to be part of it. And, you know, go Raptors, go. Best of luck with it, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much, Al. Kevin Donnelly joining us. He is a senior VP at True North Sports and Entertainment. So now here's my request. Go tomorrow night. Go and check out Jurassic Park 204. That's what they're calling it. Jurassic Park 204 at Bell MTS Place. And please take a 10 for the bin for Winnipeg Harvest tomorrow night. And if there's a Game 7, there will be a viewing party for Game 7 as well. Selfishly, I want you to go because if this flops, we will take the blame. We get the credit for the idea, but we also get blamed uh, if nobody shows up. So please go, and again, helping a great cause, and we do throw the best parties. No question about it. Growing up, going to the Olympics was a, was a goal, and I think it's a goal of a lot of kids who play sport, and to be there on the start line was pretty surreal. Not only for me, but for everyone who supports me. You know, it's not a it's not a one man show in terms of triathlon. There's so many people behind the scenes helping you get there. That is Winnipeg triathlete Tyler Mislachuk, and he joins us in the studio. Tyler, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. Uh, that audio, I think, was from a video right after Rio in 2016. Yeah, that's correct. What yeah. was that experience like? Because you were the youngest, right? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was wild for me and my family. Obviously, you know, you set these lofty goals for yourself, and Rio was kind of one of those dreams that you thought, well, maybe one in a hundred chance or one in a million chance type of thing. And yeah. you know, the stars aligned, and I was able to go to those games, and that was something I'll never forget. And now you're getting ready for Tokyo 2020. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that uh, that I'm doing it as a as a full time thing now. I never thought when I was going to high school that I'd be a you know in quotations professional athlete. So it's pretty wild. It's been a wild journey. You know, reading about you uh, in preparing for this uh, chat today, you have to be so disciplined to be good at what you do, and yet as a young person, you weren't all that disciplined. It's crazy. No, uh, I had so much energy. I think teachers had to actually buy me, you know, one of the teachers in grade six actually bought me an exercise ball for class and all that. <laughs> and I had to sit on that as my chair as all the other students had normal chairs. So I had, I had the energy early for this, but, uh, not even not putting it into the right things, always into sport. But mm. if I wasn't doing something, I was going crazy. And you didn't even really like it in the beginning, did you? Um, triathlon or? Yeah. Uh, I actually, yeah, I did one, stopped and said, well, that was way too hard. Mom, I'm not doing that. And it came back to it two years later. It drew me back in and uh, I fell in love with it. But yeah, it wasn't love at first sight, as they say. So uh, 2020, Tokyo, how do you prepare for that? We're getting close to a year out from that now. How how do you even, I can't imagine being on that world stage and, and competing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty wild. Every race you do, you prepare differently. I raced in Mexico last weekend. You know, you go to a race like that. Uh, you look up where you're staying. You know, you look up, you know, health precautions. You look up, you know, travel advisories, all these things. And this year I've been to 10 countries alone. And preparing for Tokyo will be no different. You know, you, you have to prepare for heat, climate, all these things. And I'm actually partnering up with Valneva Canada this year uh, for Project Japan, uh, Destination Japan, and basically just, you know, preparing everything I can for the Olympics. You know, you look into all those factors because, you know, sport from an outside, you watch it on TV and that's all it is, but it's many hours of preparation and work and behind the scenes, you know, you need a whole team behind you. Because you can't worry about stuff like where you're staying and when you get there, right? You've got to focus on what you're doing, so you try and prep as much of that ahead of time, I suppose, eh? Yeah, I mean, that's the stuff I don't love. I I love training. I love racing. I'm a competitor, but those are things that if you don't take care of, you're not going to be a competitor. So yeah. uh, it's things that not all athletes love. I mean, some people do, but I don't love sending the emails or doing the research, but it has to be done. And, and for Tokyo, you know, we've already done, you know, a bit of heat work. You know, we're looking at, you know, what foods to eat, what foods to avoid, how to get into time zones. You know, again, like I said, health precautions. If you're not healthy, you're not going to race well. Yeah. And that's probably one of the things I've done best in the last two years from from Rio is stay healthy uh, and just train consistently every day and just get better and better. Because you've had a lot of injuries, eh, over the years. Uh, yeah, mostly because of falling off my bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, my first World Cup ever, I broke my jaw. Second one, I broke my ribs. Broke my ribs multiple times. And these are things you can't control, but mm. obviously they're, they're in part of the sport. When you're biking in a group of 50 guys, 50K an hour, you know, sometimes it's not in your hands. Yeah. And your mom's in the studio here watching you chat with me. What is that like, uh, doing this and having the support of your mom and the rest of your family and friends and and all of Winnipeg and Manitoba? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty special. Uh, I actually have three friends in Winnipeg right now that are international triathletes that I train with. And they've never been to Canada before. And the last three weeks, all they're getting sick of me because all I do is pump up Winnipeg and pump up home. And so I'm pretty happy I get to show, you know, new people to the country and city. It's a special place for me. It's home and it always will be. And, you know, they're getting some mom and dad cooked meals as well. So they're benefiting off that. Yeah. What are some things that you want to show them while you're here? What, what have you done? What do you plan on doing? Uh, so we only got in, you know, 36 hours ago. So not much yet, just kind of recovering. But, you know, just all the, the, the typical things you know, take them to some nice coffee shops, take them downtown to the forks, you know, run the river trail, visit parks. You know, this is a beautiful time of year. We've come from Mexico and Arizona. So both, you know, dry climates. And right now it's blur. It's so green here that they just can't close their eyes. It's unbelievable. What parts of the world are they from? Uh, so we have an Australian and uh, a guy from Ireland and a fellow Canadian, who, but has never been to Winnipeg, so yeah. he's appreciating it as well. Very cool. You mentioned coffee shops. You're a big coffee guy. You're a beer guy. Yes, yes. Right? But you got to kind of be careful with that, I, I suppose, when you're training. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I hope Coach isn't listening, but we're going to visit maybe a brewery, too, when we're here. <laughs> we, I have to take them. They, they're the same. And coffee shops is, I mean, if you're not drinking coffee as a triathlete, you're probably yeah. not training hard enough because I, I need it in the mornings. Yeah, same in radio, man. Yeah. I've done morning radio for a lot of years. I do afternoons now, and I love it because mornings are tough. But you're able yeah. to get up and do that. Uh, like, what time of the day do you get up to train? Um, actually not as early as a lot of y'all think. I mean, cause I'm doing it full time. Yeah. I can train all day. Yeah. It's uh, your job. Yeah. It's my job. So you train all day, you know, get up like a normal person, six or 7am, you know, have a coffee, get into routine and train, train for a few hours in the morning, maybe take a bit of a break, eat. We do a lot of that. Yeah. Another coffee right. and we get back to it yeah. in the afternoon. 
you know, you mentioned you've been to 10 countries just in the past six months. I think you've been to more countries, almost two dozen or maybe more than two dozen, more countries you've been to than years you've been alive. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, I mean, as an 18-year-old, had you said that to me, I would have I would have laughed. You know, I would have laughed if you said I was a professional athlete, but I would have laughed even harder if you said I've been to that many countries, and I do not take that for granted. You know, anytime I go to a place, you know, I I'm just you know it's that yeah, I just don't take it for granted. Yeah, is that one of the great? I mean, obviously competing and representing your country, and that's so cool. And as you said, a one in a million lifetime sort of opportunity. But is travel an exciting part of it? Do you enjoy that, or or would you rather kind of do it all right here if you could? Um, I like the mix. And when I first started doing it, uh, I you know I was thinking about oh I'm missing this party or I'm missing this with my friends because you know you're in the community and you see all the events you're missing. Uh, but as I've gotten older, you know, I still miss those events, but I'm realizing what I'm doing. You know, my body's going to be done in, you know, how many years and I'm not going to be able to do this. So yeah. enjoy what I'm doing right now and, and how I'm doing it because you're not going to be young forever. You know, I'm, I can live the rest of my life in Winnipeg or in one location and yeah, I still travel, but uh, enjoy what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And I don't take it for granted as much as I would have as a 21 year old who went to the Olympics, you know. Right. Uh, kind of being so green to it now. Every country I go, I try to you know soak in a bit more. And as you get ready for the Tokyo Olympics next year, do you have a goal? Do you go in saying I want to win hardware or do the best I can do? Or do you try and beat personal best? What do you go in hoping to do? No, I mean everyone. When you ask that question, everyone avoids the question. They oh, I want to do this and this and yeah, I want to win a medal. Uh, it's a bold statement, but, uh, I want to win a medal. I'm, you know, I'm training to do that. And if I don't do that, then I, you know, I I failed in the event, but at least I tried and I'll say it out loud because if you don't say it out loud, then it's not real. So yeah, that's something I'm chasing. And if people want to follow along, I'm on social media. Uh, like you said, there's a lot of cool photos on there of places I get to see. And, uh, that's where my, my parents and even my grandma told me this morning, you know, like she watched the video of me racing in Mexico on the weekend via, via social media. Mm -hmm. So it's crazy. And she's 84. Yeah. That's very cool that they can, that she can follow along, you know, now and, and, and watch you compete. How about the other triathletes on the Canadian team? Have we got a good uh, team when it comes to triathlon? Yeah, so we're actually, for the first Olympics ever, we'll be a a relay event in triathlon. So it's a a woman, man, woman, man, and it's like kind of like, you know, pass the baton off. And uh, Canada has a lot of potential right now. Uh, and we're just trying to finesse the potential into trying to achieve a medal. Uh, that's easier said than done, but the raw talent is there and it's really just finessing it, uh, as a sport. It's all about inches and seconds and, you know, nailing those little things. So, uh, it's, it's definitely a medal potential, I think, going to the games. Tyler, really nice to meet you. Good luck. Best of luck in Tokyo. And I'm sure your mom and, and family and friends are really proud of you. And all of us here in Winnipeg and Manitoba are proud of you as well as you represent us at the Olympics. Thank you. That's really nice to hear, and thanks for having me. Tyler Mislachuk joining us here. He is a triathlete from Winnipeg, and he is getting ready for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. 
if I were in Manitoba right now, and for that matter, also Saskatchewan and Atlantic Canada, uh, I would be going and developing advertising campaigns in Ontario and BC and saying, your hard work will pay off more in Manitoba. You can get by for less work to get into homeownership. You can have more free time. You can have way less debt and far more financial security, even if you don't have as good a paying job. That is Dr. Paul Kershaw, UBC policy prof and the founder of Generation squeeze on the start here on CJOB this morning. Sutton Eves is the co-executive director of Generation Squeeze, and she joins us live on the phone now. Hello, good afternoon, Sutton. Hey, Hal, how you doing? Great, thank you very much for doing this. I've been talking a bit already about this uh, new research that you've done. The headline is, average home prices in Manitoba are 12% more expensive than what is affordable for younger Canadians. So we're talking 25 to 34-year-olds. And basically here in Manitoba, we would need to see average home prices drop by $34,000 or 12% for someone, again, we're talking averages here, someone between 25 and 34 to be able to afford an 80% mortgage at current interest rates. But the problem is not as bad here as it is elsewhere, is it? No, it's not. And that's why Paul's making the case. If you live elsewhere, maybe Manitoba is the place to look to. Where is it really bad in the country? Well, this isn't news to your listeners, but we still think it's worth reminding folks that some of the worst markets are in Ontario and B.C., uh, which is where I'm based. So, you know, in Vancouver, the price of housing for someone in this age group is four times what is affordable based on their average earnings. And I, I just want to take uh, the chance to point out that affordability isn't some abstract concept. We actually have a really specific definition, and it's 30% of your income or less. And so if you're spending more than that, you're, you're getting into a danger zone there. You're racking up debt, and especially when you're thinking about paying more than 30% in the context of having lots of other really big bills, childcare bills, student debt bills. So that's why we always say this is this is a really important marker for us to be, to be trying to get beneath. And so are we seeing more young people than renting or, or looking at other options? Is this why we're seeing them in mom and dad's basement longer? Um, because really, if you can't afford it, you can't afford it, right? I think so. I think we're seeing a lot more people thinking about renting. But the challenge is that, as you guys know, too, vacancy rates are down. And so this squeeze extends beyond just people who are looking to buy a home, but to all younger people and not just younger people in Canada. This question about housing insecurity is is, is a real problem for everybody, renters and owners alike. I got to ask you about expectations. You know, a couple of the old guys uh, and gals in the newsroom this morning when we were talking about this research of yours couple of the old ones said, wow, what are their expectations? Our first home was, you know, and then we rattled off how horrible the first home was, but it was important to buy that home, and we uh, bought what we could afford, not what we want. Are expectations higher among 25 to 34-year-olds, or, or what is your sense after doing this study? I don't think so. I don't think that's really the case at all. I mean, averages can obscure things a little bit, but we're seeing that in Canada – an average priced home is, you know, around $500,000. That's not an expensive unit per se. That's not an expensive thing to expect. And yet what this study shows is that people under the age of 35 really just don't have the capacity to afford it.
And again, when we're talking numbers, you know, it sort of depends where you're at, right? That number in Winnipeg or Toronto or Vancouver or Calgary will differ, right? Because, uh, you know, uh, prices differ. And and while we've certainly caught up to the rest of the country uh, with home prices here in, in Winnipeg, it's not as bad as, as some of those uh, other bigger markets. So is there an answer here? Is there a solution to this problem, do you think, Sutton? Oh, yeah. And I think that's part of the reason we released this research, because for many people who've been living this reality or reading the news the last few years, this isn't news. But we have a federal election coming up in the fall, and we and others, whether that's experts or average Canadians, all agree it's time for the federal, the federal government, provincial governments, local governments, too, to really prioritize housing affordability. The time is now. There are steps we can take. We lay out a few of them in our, uh, in our report. For example, we have a national housing strategy. It's currently focused on social housing. That's very important. You know, there's 530,000 people in Canada who need that type of support, the most vulnerable folks in the country. But there's 1.2 million more, those missing middle, those people who are earning a decent income but still cannot afford to buy a home in Canada. So we're saying we need to expand the national housing strategy. We need the federal government to set a target that all Canadians can afford a good, secure home by 2030. And like I said, there's a really clear definition around what afford actually means. Yeah. And then we need a whole slew of policies that address both demand side and supply side challenges. So that sounds like jargon. But when I say supply side, I mean, we need more purpose built rentals. We need to make single family neighborhoods more inclusive to different kinds of people and housing types. On the demand side, we need to prevent money laundering through real estate. You know, that's been a huge driver of the problem in B.C., but an expert panel recently showed that it's actually a national issue. So, yeah, there's a number of steps that can be taken. The types of things we need to do might change by location and context, but there are certainly options. And we need what we actually need now is the political will to tackle it. Well, I'll tell you, the timing of this uh, study of yours at Generation Squeeze is uh, is very good because we are waiting uh, for the campaign uh, for an election date to be named here in the province, and we're also, uh, you know, heading into a federal vote. So it's a great time to be talking about it, and I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us, Sutton. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Hal. Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.